0: Be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast
1: player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest.
0: My name's Andrew, and I'm so pleased you've
1: joined me tonight and taken this time for yourself to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 19 and 20 of
0: Emily of New Moon by L.M. Montgomery. In the last chapter, Emily met with Father Cassidy, seeking his help with Lofty John. In tonight's
1: story, Emily writes to her father once again as Christmas approaches. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Take a deep, relaxing breath. And settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now, all you'll need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 19 Friends Again Emily listened very anxiously on Monday
0: morning, but no sound of axe, no ponderous hammer rang in Lofty John's bush. That evening, on her way home from school, Lofty John himself overtook her in his buggy, and for the first time since the night of the apple, stopped and accosted her.
1: Will ye take a lift,
0: Miss Emily of New Moon? he said affably. Emily climbed in, feeling a little bit foolish, but Lofty John looked quite friendly as he clucked to his horse. So you've clean wild the heart of Father Cassidy's body, he said. The sweetest scrap of a girl I've ever seen, says he to me. Sure, and ye might leave the poor priests
1: alone. Emily looked at Lofty John out of the corner of her eye. He did not seem angry.
0: You've put me in a nice tight fix of it, he went on. I'm as proud as any new moon Murray of ye all, and your Aunt Elizabeth said a number of things that got under my skin. I've many an old score to settle with her. So I thought I'd get square by cutting the bush down, and you had to go and quire me with my priest because of it, and now I make no doubt I'll not be after daring to cut a stick of that kindling down to warm my shivering carcass without asking leave of the Pope. Oh, Mr. Sullivan, are you going to leave the bush alone? said Emily breathlessly. It all rests with yourself, Miss Emily of New Moon. Ye can't be after expecting a lofty John to be too humble. I didn't come by
1: the name because of my meekness. What do you want me to do? First, then, I'm wanting you to
0: let bygones be bygones in that matter of the apple. And by token of the same, come over and talk to me now and then, as ye did last summer. Sure now, and I've missed you. You and that spitfire of an Isla, who's never come neither, because she thinks I've mistreated you. I'll come, of course, said Emily, doubtfully. If only Aunt Elizabeth will let me. Tell her if she don't, the bush'll be cut down. Every last stick of it, that'll fetch her. And there's one more thing. Ye must ask me really meek and polite to do ye the favour of not cutting down the bush. If ye do it pretty enough, sure never a tree will I touch. But if you don't, down they go, priest or no priest, concluded Lofty John. Emily summoned all her wiles to her aid. She clasped her hands. She looked up through her lashes at Lofty John. She smiled as slowly and seductively as she knew how. Please, Mr. Lofty John, she coaxed. Won't you leave me the dear bush I love? Lofty John swept off his crumpled old felt hat. To be sure, and I will. A proper Irishman always does what a lady asks him. Sure, and it's been the ruin of us. We're at the mercy of the petticoats. If ye'd come and said that to me afore, ye'd have had no need of your walk to Whitecross. But mind you, keep the rest of the bargain. The reds are ripe, and the scabs soon will be too and all the rats have gone to glory. Emily flew into the new moon kitchen like a slim whirlwind. Aunt Elizabeth, Lofty John isn't going to cut down the bush. He told me he wouldn't, but I have to go and see him sometimes, if you don't object. I suppose it wouldn't make much difference to you if I did, said Aunt Elizabeth but her voice was not so sharp as usual. She would not confess how much Emily's announcement relieved her, but it mellowed
1: her attitude considerably. There's a letter here for you. I want you to know what it means.
0: Emily took the letter. It was the first time she had ever received a real letter through the mail, and she tingled with delight of it. It was addressed in a heavy black hand to Miss Emily Starr,
1: New Moon, Blairwater. But you opened it, she cried indignantly.
0: Of course I did. You are not going to receive letters I am not to see, Miss. What I want you to know is how comes Father Cassidy to be writing to you? and writing such nonsense. I went to see him Saturday, confessed Emily, realising that the cat was out of the bag, and I asked him if he could prevent Lofty John from cutting down the bush. Emily Birdstar I told him I was Protestant, cried Emily. He understands all about it and he was just like anybody else. I like him better than Mr. Dare. Aunt Elizabeth did not say much more. There did not seem to be much she could say. Besides, the bush wasn't going to be cut down. The bringer of good news is forgiven much. She contented herself with glaring at Emily, who was too happy and excited to mind glares. She carried her letter off to the garret dormer, and gloated over the stamp and the superscription a bit before she took out the enclosure.
1: Dear Pearl of Emily's, wrote Father Cassidy, I've seen our lofty friend, and I feel
0: sure your green outpost of Fairyland will be saved for your moonlit revels. I know you do dance there by light of moon when mortals are snoring. I think you'll have to go through the form of asking Mr. Sullivan to spare those trees, but you'll find him quite reasonable. It's all in the knowledge, how and the time of the moon. How goes the epic and the language? I hope you'll have no trouble in freeing the child of the sea from her vows. Continue to be the friend of all good elves. And of your admiring friend, James Cassidy. P.S. The Bye sends respects. What word have you for cat in your language? Sure and you can't get anything cattier than cat, can you now? Lofty John spread the story of Emily's appeal to Father Cassidy far and wide, enjoying it as a good joke on himself. Rhoda Stewart said she always knew Emily Starr was a bold thing, and Miss Brownell said she would be surprised at nothing Emily Starr would do, and Dr. Burnley called her a little devil more admiringly than ever, and Perry said she had pluck, and Teddy took credit for suggesting it and Aunt Elizabeth endured, and Aunt Laura thought it might have been worse. But Cousin Jimmy made Emily feel very happy. It would have spoiled the garden and broken my heart, Emily, he told her. You're a little darling girl to have prevented it. One day, a month later, When Aunt Elizabeth had taken Emily to Shrewsbury to fit her out with a winter coat, they met Father Cassidy in the store. Aunt Elizabeth bowed with great stateliness, but Emily put out a slender paw. "'What about the dispensation from Rome?' whispered Father Cassidy. One Emily was quite horrified, lest Aunt Elizabeth should overhear and think she was having sly dealings with the Pope, such as no good Presbyterian half-Murray of New Moon should have. The other Emily thrilled to her toes with the dramatic delight of a secret understanding of mystery and intrigue. She nodded gravely, her eyes eloquent with satisfaction.
1: I got it without any trouble, she whispered back. Fine said Father Cassidy. I wish you good luck, and I wish it hard. Goodbye.
0: Farewell, said Emily, thinking it a word more in keeping with dark secrets than goodbye. She tasted the flavour of that half-stolen interview all the way home, and felt quite as if she were living in an epic herself. She did not see Father Cassidy again for years, He was soon afterwards removed to another parish,
1: but she always thought of him as a very agreeable and understanding person. Chapter 20 By Ariel Post Dearest father, My heart is very sore tonight. Mike died this morning.
0: Cousin Jimmy says he must have been poisoned. Oh, father dear, I felt so bad. He was such a lovely cat. I cried and cried and cried. Aunt Elizabeth was disgusted. She said, You did not make half so much fuss when your father died. What a cruel speech. Aunt Laura was nicer, but when she said, Don't cry, dear. I will get you another kitten. I saw she didn't understand either. I don't want another kitten. If I had millions of kittens, they wouldn't make up for Mike. Isla and I buried him in Lofty John's bush. I'm so thankful the ground wasn't frozen yet. Aunt Laura gave me a shoebox for a coffin. And some pink tissue paper to wrap his poor little body in. And we put a stone over the grave, and I said, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. When I told Aunt Elizabeth about it, she was horrified and said, Oh, Emily, that was a dreadful thing. You should not have said that over a cat. And Cousin Jimmy said, Don't you think? Laura, that an innocent little dumb creature has a share in God. Emily loved him, and all love is part of God.
1: And Aunt Laura said, Maybe all right, Jimmy. But I am thankful Elizabeth did not hear her. Cousin
0: Jimmy may not be all there, but what is there is very nice. But oh father, I'm so lonesome for Mike tonight. Last night he was here playing with me, so cunning
1: and pretty and smee. And now he is cold and dead in Lofty John's bush. December 18th Dear Father, I'm here in the garret. The wind
0: woman is very sorry about something tonight. She is sighing so sadly around the window. And yet, the first time I heard her tonight, the flash came. I felt as if it had just seen something that happened long, long ago. Something so lovely that it hurt me. Cousin Jimmy says there will be a snowstorm tonight. I'm glad. I like to hear a storm at night. It's so cosy to snuggle down among the blankets and feel it can't get at you. Only when I snuggle, Aunt Elizabeth says I squirm. The idea anyone not knowing the difference between snuggling and squirming. I'm glad we will have snow for Christmas. The Murray dinner is to be at New Moon this year. It is our turn. Last year it was at Uncle Oliver's, but Cousin Jimmy had gripe and couldn't go, so I stayed home with him. I will be right in the thick of it this year, and it excites me. I will write you all about it after it's over, dearest. I want to tell you something, Father. I am ashamed of it, but I think I'll feel better if I tell you all about it. Last Saturday... Ella Lee had a birthday party, and I was invited. Aunt Elizabeth let me put on my new blue cashmere dress. It is a very pretty dress. Aunt Elizabeth wanted to get a dark brown one, but Aunt Laura insisted on blue. I looked at myself in my glass, and I remembered that Isla told me her father told her I would be handsome if I had more colour so I pinched my cheeks to make them red. I looked ever so much nicer, but it didn't last. Then I took an old red velvet flower that had once been in Aunt Laura's bonnet and wet it and then rubbed the red on my cheeks. I went to the party and the girls all looked at me, but nobody said anything. Only Rhoda Stewart giggled and giggled. I meant to come home and wash the red off before Aunt Elizabeth saw me, but she took a notion to call for me on her way home from the store. She did not say anything there, but when we got home, she said, What have you been doing to your face, Emily? I told her, and I expected an awful scolding, but all she said was, Don't you know that you've made yourself cheap? I did know it too. I had felt that all along, although I couldn't think of the right word for it before. I will never do such a thing again, Aunt Elizabeth,
1: I said. You'd better not, she said. Go and wash your face this instant. I did, and I was
0: not half so pretty, but I felt ever so much better. Strange to relate, dear father, I heard Aunt Elizabeth laughing about it in the pantry to Aunt Laura afterwards. He never can tell what will make Aunt Elizabeth laugh. I'm sure it was ever so much funnier when Saucy Sal followed me to prayer meeting last Wednesday. But Aunt Elizabeth never laughed a bit then. I don't often go to prayer meeting, but Aunt Laura couldn't go that night, so Aunt Elizabeth took me because she doesn't like to go alone. I didn't know Sal was following us till just as we got to the church, then I saw her. I shooed her away, but after we went in, I suppose Sal sneaked in when someone opened the door and got upstairs into the gallery. And just as soon as Mr. Dare began to pray, Sal began to yowl. It sounded awful up in that big. Empty gallery. I felt so guilty and miserable. I did not need to paint my face. It was just burning red, and Aunt Elizabeth's eyes glittered fiendishly. Mr. Dare prayed a long time. He is deaf, so he did not hear Sal any more than when he sat on her. But everyone else did, and the boys giggled. After the prayer, Mr. Morris went up to the gallery and chased Sal out. We could hear her scrambling over the seats and Mr. Morris after her. I was wild for fear he'd hurt her. I meant to spank her myself with a shingle next day, but I did not want her to be kicked. After a long time, he got her out of the gallery and she tore down the stairs and into the church up one aisle and down the other, two or three times as fast as she could go, and Mr. Morris running after her with a broom. It is awfully funny to think of it now, but I did not think it so funny at the time. I was so ashamed and so afraid Sal would be hurt. Mr. Morris chased her out at last. When he sat down, I made a face at him behind my hymn book. Coming home, Aunt Elizabeth said, I hope you have disgraced us enough tonight, Emily Starr. I shall never take you to prayer meeting again. I am sorry I disgraced the Murrays, but I don't see how I was to blame. And anyway, I don't like prayer meeting because it is dull. But it wasn't dull that night, dear father. Do you notice how my spelling is improved? I have thought of such a good plan. I write my letter first, and then I look up all the words I'm not sure of and correct them. Sometimes, though, I think a word is all right when it isn't. Isla and I have given up our language. We fought over the verbs. Isla didn't want to have any tenses for the verbs. She just wanted to have a different word altogether for every tense. I said if I was going to make a language it was going to be a proper one and Isla got mad and said she had enough bother with grammar in English and I could go and make my old language myself. But that's no fun, so I let it go too. I was sorry because it was very interesting and it was such fun to puzzle the other girls in school. We weren't able to get square with the French boys after all, for Isla had sore throat all through potato-picking time and couldn't come over. It seemed to me that life is full of disappointments. We had examinations in school this week. I did pretty well in all except arithmetic. Miss Brownell explained something about this question, but I was busy composing a story in my mind and did not hear her, so I got poor marks. The story is called Madge McPherson's Secret. I'm going to buy four sheets of full scrap with my egg money and sew them into a book and write the story in it. I can do what I like with my egg money. I think maybe. I'll write novels when I grow up, as well as poetry. But Aunt Elizabeth won't let me read any novels, so how can I find out how to write them? Another thing that worries me, if I do grow up and write a wonderful poem, perhaps people won't see how wonderful it is. Cousin Jimmy says that a man in Priest Pond says the end of the world is coming soon. I hope it won't come until I've seen everything in it. Poor Elder McKay has the mumps. I was oversleeping with Isla the other night because her father was away. Isla says her prayers now and she said she'd bet me anything she could pray longer than me. I said she couldn't and I prayed ever so long about everything I could think of and when I couldn't think of anything more, I thought at first I'd begin over again. Then I thought, no, that would not be honourable. A star must be honourable. So I got up and said, you win, and Isla never answered. I went around the bed, and there she was asleep on her knees. When I woke her up, she said we'd have to call the bet off, because she could have gone on praying forever so long as if she hadn't fell asleep. After we got into bed, I told her a lot of things I wished afterwards I hadn't. Secrets. The other day in history class, Miss Brownell read that Sir Walter Riley had to lie in the tower for 14 years. Perry said, Wouldn't they let him get up sometimes? Then Miss Brownell punished him for impertinence, but Perry was in earnest. Isla was mad at Miss Brownell for whipping Perry, and mad at Perry for asking such a foolish question as if he didn't know anything. But Perry says he's going to write a history book some day that won't have such puzzling things in it. I'm finishing the disappointed house in my mind. I'm furnishing the rooms like flowers. I'll have a rose room, all pink, and a lily room, all white and silver, and a pansy room, blue and gold.
1: I wish the disappointed house could have a Christmas. It never has any Christmases. Oh, father, I've just thought of something nice. When I grow up and write
0: a great novel and make lots of money, I will buy the disappointed house and finish it. Then it won't be disappointed any more. Isla's Sunday school teacher, Miss Wilson, gave her a Bible for learning two hundred verses. But when she took it home, her father laid it on the floor and kicked it out in the yard. Mrs. Sims says a judgment will come on him, but nothing has happened yet. The poor man is warped, that is why he did such a wicked thing. Aunt Laura took me to old Mrs Manson's funeral last Wednesday. I like funerals, they're so dramatic. My pig died last week, it was a great financial loss to me. Aunt Elizabeth says cousin Jimmy fed it too well. I suppose I should not have called it after Lofty John. We have maps to draw in school now. Rhoda Stewart always gets the most marks. Miss Brownell doesn't know that Rhoda just puts the map up against a windowpane and the paper over it and copies it off. I like drawing maps. Norway and Sweden look like a tiger with mountains for stripes. And Ireland looks like a little dog, with its back turned on England, and its paws held up against its breast. And Africa looks like a big pork ham. Australia is a lovely map to draw. Isla is getting on real well in school now. She says she isn't going to have me beating her. She can learn like the Dickens, as Perry says, when she tries and she has won the silver medal for Queen's Country. The WCTU in Charlottetown gave it for the best reciter. They had the contest in Shrewsbury, and Aunt Laura took Isla because Dr. Burnley wouldn't, and Isla won it. Aunt Laura told Dr. Burnley when he was here one day that he ought to give Isla a good education. He said, I'm not going to waste money educating any she-thing. And he looked black as a thundercloud. Oh, I wish Dr. Burnley would love Isla. I'm so glad
1: you love me, father. December 22nd Dear father, We had our
0: school examination today. It was a great occasion. Almost everybody was there except Dr. Burnley and Aunt Elizabeth. All the girls wore their best dresses but me. I knew Isla had nothing to wear but her shabby old last winter's plaid that is too short for her, so to keep her from feeling bad, I put my old brown dress on too. Aunt Elizabeth did not want to let me do it at first, because New Moon Murray's should be well-dressed but when I explained about Isla, she looked at Aunt Laura and then said I might. Rhoda Stewart made fun of Isla and me, but I heaped coals of fire on her head. That is what is called a figure of speech. She got stuck in her recitation. She had left the book home, and nobody else knew the piece but me. At first, I looked at her triumphantly. But then a strange feeling came into me, and I thought, what would I feel like if I was stuck before a big crowd of people like this, and besides, the honour of the school is at stake. So I whispered it to her, because I was quite close. She got through the rest all right. The strange thing is, dear father, that now I don't feel any more as if I hated her.
1: I feel quite kindly to her and it is much nicer it is uncomfortable to hate people december 28 dear father
0: christmas is over it was pretty nice i never saw so many good things cooked all at once uncle wallace and aunt eva and uncle oliver and aunt taddy and aunt ruth were here uncle oliver didn't bring any of his children and I was much disappointed, but we had Dr. Burnley and Isla too. Everyone was dressed up. Aunt Elizabeth wore her black satin dress with a pointed lace collar and cap. She looked quite handsome, and I was proud of her. You like your relations to look well, even if you don't like them. Aunt Laura wore her brown silk, and Aunt Ruth had on a grey dress. Aunt Eva was very elegant. Her dress had a train, but it smelled of mothballs. I had on my blue cashmere and wore my hair tied with blue ribbons, and Aunt Laura let me wear Mother's blue silk sash with the pink daisies on it that she had when she was a little girl at New Moon. Aunt Ruth sniffed when she saw me. She said, You've grown a good deal, Emily. I hope you are a better girl. But she didn't hope it really. I saw that quite plain. Then she told me my bootlace was untied. She looks better, said Uncle Oliver. I wouldn't wonder if she grew up into a strong, healthy girl after all. Aunt Eva sighed and shook her head. Uncle Wallace didn't say anything, but shook hands with me. His hand was as cold as a fish. When we went out to the sitting room for dinner, I stepped on Aunt Eva's train and I could hear some stitches rip somewhere. Aunt Eva pushed me away and Aunt Ruth said, What a very awkward child you are, Emily. I stepped behind Aunt Ruth and stuck out my tongue at her. Uncle Oliver makes a noise eating his soup. We had all the good silver spoons out. Cousin Jimmy carved the turkeys and he gave me two slices of the breast because he knows I like white meat best. Aunt Ruth said, when I was a little girl, the wing was good enough for me, and Cousin Jimmy put another white slice on my plate. Aunt Ruth didn't say anything more then till the carving was done, and then she said, I saw your school teacher in Shrewsbury last Saturday and she did not give me a very good account of you. If you were my daughter, I would expect a different report. I'm very glad I am not your daughter, I said, in my mind. I didn't say it out loud, of course, but Aunt Ruth said, please do not look so sulky when I speak to you, Emily. And Uncle Wallace said, it is a pity she has such an unattractive expression. You are conceited and domineering and stingy, I said, still in my mind. I heard Dr Burnley say you were. I see there is an ink stain on her finger, said Aunt Ruth. I had been writing a poem before dinner. And then the most surprising thing happened. Relations are always surprising you. Aunt Elizabeth spoke and said, I do wish, Ruth, that you and Wallace would leave that child alone. I could hardly believe my ears. Aunt Ruth looked annoyed, but she did leave me alone after that, and only sniffed when Cousin Jimmy put another slice of white meat on my plate. After that, the dinner was nice, and when they got as far as the pudding, they all began to talk, and it was splendid to listen to. They told stories and jokes about the Murrays. Even Uncle Wallace laughed, and Aunt Ruth told some things about Great-Aunt Nancy. They were sarcastic, but they were interesting. Aunt Elizabeth opened Grandfather Murray's desk and took out an old poem that had been written to Aunt Nancy, by a lover, when she was young, and Uncle Oliver read it. Great-Aunt Nancy must have been very beautiful. I wonder if anyone will ever write a poem to me, if I could have a bang somebody might. I said, was great aunt Nancy really as pretty as that? And Uncle Oliver said, they say she was seventy years ago. And Uncle Wallace said, she hangs on well, she'll see the century mark yet. And Uncle Oliver said, oh, she's got so in the habit of living, she'll never die. Dr. Burnley told a story I didn't understand. Uncle Wallace haw-hawed right out, and Uncle Oliver put his napkin up to his face. Aunt Addie and Aunt Eva looked at each other, and then looked at their plates and smiled a little bit. Aunt Ruth seemed offended, and Aunt Elizabeth looked coldly at Dr. Burnley and said, I think you forget that there are children present. Dr. Burnley said, I beg your pardon, Elizabeth very politely. He can speak quite grandly when he likes. He is very handsome when he is all dressed up and shaved. Isla says she is proud of him, even if he hates her. After dinner was over, the presents were given. That is a Murray tradition. We never have stockings or trees, but a big bran pie is passed all around with the presents buried in it. And ribbons hanging out with names on them. It was fun. My relations all gave me useful presents, except for Aunt Laura. She gave me a bottle of perfume. I love it. I love nice smells. Aunt Elizabeth does not approve of perfumes. She gave me a new apron, but I am thankful to say, not a baby one. Aunt Ruth gave me a new testament, and said, Emily, I hope you will read a portion of that every day until you have read it through. And I said, Why, Aunt Ruth, I've read the whole New Testament a dozen times, and so I have. I love revelations, and so I do. When I read the verse, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, I just saw them, and the flash came. The Bible is not to be read as a storybook, Aunt Ruth said coldly. Uncle Wallace and Aunt Eva gave me a pair of black mitts and Uncle Oliver and Aunt Addie gave me a whole dollar in nice new silver dimes and Cousin Jimmy gave me a hair ribbon. Perry had left a silk bookmark for me. He had to go home to spend Christmas Day with his Aunt Tom at Stovepipe Town but I saved a lot of nuts and raisins for him. I gave him and Teddy handkerchiefs. Teddy's was a little bit the nicer, and I gave Isla a hair ribbon. I brought them myself out of my egg money. I will not have any more egg money for a long time because my hen has stopped laying. Everybody was happy, and once Uncle Wallace smiled right at me. I did not think him so ugly when he smiled. After dinner, Isla and I played games in the kitchen and Cousin Jimmy helped us make taffy. We had a big supper, but nobody could eat much because they had had such a dinner. Aunt Eva's head ached, and Aunt Ruth said she didn't see why Elizabeth had to make the sausages so rich. But the rest were good-humoured, and Aunt Laura kept things pleasant. She is good at making things pleasant. And after it was all over, Uncle Wallace said, This is another Murray tradition. Let us think for a few moments of those who have gone before. I liked the way he said it, very solemnly and kind. It was one of the times when I am glad the blood of the Murrays flows in my veins. And I thought of you, darling father, and mother, and poor little Mike, and great-great-grandmother Murray, and of my old account book that Aunt Elizabeth burned because it seemed just like a person to me. And then we all joined hands and sung for old Lang Syne before they went home. I didn't feel like a stranger among the Murrays anymore. Aunt Laura and I stood on the porch to watch them go. Aunt Laura put her arm around me and said, Your mother and I used to stand like this long ago, Emily, to watch the Christmas guests go away. The snow creaked, and the bells rang through the trees, and the frost on the pig house roof sparkled in the moonlight. And it was all so lovely, the bells and the frost and the big shining white night,
1: that the flash came, and that was best of all.